Hello. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Good evening. Hope you're all well. Just give me a sec. How are you all? Good. All right. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Morning. <laughs> Afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> you guys all well? I just got a virus test today, you know, like, the, you know, and it was like, I was watching her explain it to the person in front of me in the car, it was one of the drive through testing sites, and I was like panicking as I watched her be like, you gotta spin it more, and I was like, oh god, this sounds terrifying. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. We have a bunch of free testing sites, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, so a bunch of free testing sites everywhere just to like get a lot of people, but very interesting. Yeah, I, I was tested a couple of weeks ago because I had like a slight sore throat and where I live, they're asking anyone with any kind of symptoms of a cold to get tested. And it was, yeah, it was like intense for a couple of seconds. <laughs> Way up. Um, yeah, but all good. All right. Well, I'm going to get started, I think. Um, so this week I've noticed... Uh, a lot of people are feeling a bit maybe overwhelmed. Um, there's been a couple of common themes that have come through in the emails that I've received, um, which I wanted to kind of touch on first because I have a feeling it might answer a lot of the questions that are doing the rounds at the moment um, and hopefully also um, alleviate some of the, like, the feelings maybe the negative feelings that people are happening having at the moment. Um, but first, I, I wanted to just give you a bit of a an idea of what the next week will look like. So as you know, Sunday, you'll get the last um, email for the retreat. And next week is our last week of lessons. But the, the Sunday following that, I'm actually going to send you another email that will have um, a link to a, I guess, a, a workbook that includes all of the worksheets from the last six weeks, as well as uh, links to all of the yoga replays and all of the replays of these calls and um, any other links and, and, and the Facebook group and any other links that we've sort of covered in the last uh, month. So if anyone had been worrying about whether or not they'll continue to have access or how easy it will be to get that access, um, that will be in your inbox Sunday week. But also the retreat website will stay active for all participants. So until, you know, it no longer exists on the internet, which I have no foreseeable um, reason to think why it will, it will not, it will be yours to have access to. Um, so hopefully that's a, a good thing. Um, I think the, the two common themes that I've seen this week, and I'd love to kind of either get a show of hands or pop it in the chat if, if you're experiencing the same, um, is that I feel like a lot of people are feeling as though either you're slipping back over the last week or two or not making enough progress. Is that something that anyone on the call has felt? Yeah, getting some yeses, yeah. Um, I, and I guess I wanted to start there because, first of all, like it's really common. I think that in the retreat it's common, but also whenever we're 
making changes to the way we live. It's common, you know. Um, <clears throat> I myself, I, I've, I've been exploring slow living for almost a decade and making changes that whole time. <clears throat> and the last few weeks, uh, I've felt myself having to remember that um, this is a, a process. The whole thing is a process. You know, I've, I've found myself kind of reverting back to that, that really negative um, headspace of, you know, blaming or not being good enough or, um, you know, you should know better by now kind of personal judgments. Um, and it stems from things as simple as like, I've dropped my morning rhythm back to the very, very, very basic of most basic rhythms. Um, and basically the only thing that is um, slow about it is that I take a couple of minutes in bed <clears throat> um, in the morning to just lay there and think, not meditate, not journal, not do anything other than just think for a few minutes. And then I work through everything that needs to happen um, in our morning. So getting up, getting showered, getting dressed, getting the kids' lunches ready and breakfast ready and getting them off to school. Um, and the only way I think that that is slow or intentional is that I'm doing one thing at a time and I've removed all of my, all of the inputs that were unnecessary. So like no screens, no additional requirements on my time. Um, and that sort of felt like a failing almost because I talk about creating these rhythms that are going to support you. And I needed to remind myself that at the moment, as I'm finishing my manuscript, which is due on Sunday, um, I'm, uh, that, that is how I'm supporting myself. I'm kind of removing all of the unnecessary things um, and tilting mega into, into one thing. And then I, <laughs> I have plans to tilt, once that's handed in on Sunday, to tilt into doing like as little as possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've already said to Ben, I'm like, let's order pizza. I don't care. Let's just, can you just allow me to lay on the lounge and watch Netflix for two days? So, yeah. um, and, and then, you know, I thought, well, that, that felt like a failing. And it's, I think it's because of this, this story that we've, we spoke about a lot last week of like not being good enough. You know, even our best efforts, we've got this voice in our heads that's telling us it's not good enough. Um, and it's really easy to convince ourselves of that. But I think, um, you know, as we spoke about last week, it's not about convincing ourselves immediately and once and for all that we are good enough and, you know, it's okay and we'll move on. It's that constant reminder that um, we can meet ourselves with compassion and kindness, even when it doesn't feel uh, natural. So <clears throat> for anyone who finds themselves, I guess, um, and particularly the other thing to keep in mind is that these are very strange times. So what may have worked last week isn't going to work this week. What may have worked yesterday isn't going to work today necessarily. And I know that um, I've had emails from a couple of people in Australia because we're starting to slowly reopen workplaces and schools and stuff who were talking about how um, it felt simpler, obviously, when we didn't have to get the kids up and ready for school or um, head off to the office. There was this sense of spaciousness, even if there was lots happening, there was a sense of spaciousness in our days. And as that is removed and things head into some kind of normalcy, um, there's like a, a bit of a process of um, grieving almost and, and a bit of loss of, of that. And that's okay too. You know, if you find yourself there, like honour that. 
none of us have been through this before. So, it, you know, if that's if that's where you're at, it's okay. Um, and meet yourself there with compassion, and then look at what things can look like for the next step um, moving on. So that's sort of the first common theme. Um, and obviously, if you've got questions related to that, or um, or, or any questions, just pop them in the chat and we can get you up and, and talk about it. Um, but the other kind of common theme is, though, is that that I just touched on. There seems to be a lot of tension um, at the moment. I know a lot of us sort of worked, decided to do this retreat either um, as an opportunity to spend time working with ourselves and to really um, dive into to self care and self development and self understanding. And when we were in lockdown, perhaps that felt more doable. Is anyone in that situation now? Yeah. Um, I mean, I obviously I know that a lot of people are still locked down, so that that's going to be different as well. But um, I think that <coughs> excuse me. I think that that's completely understandable. Um, and the thing that I like about this week as a, a way to, to kind of dig into to that tension is that um, for me anyway, it's given me a very clear indication of how uh, countercultural it is to slow down and how countercultural it is to stop and, and notice and pay attention. Um, and it's really going against the status quo. And I can see, and I know a number of people who've emailed me can also see that the status quo is trying to force its way back. And there's a lot of tension that people are feeling as a result of that. So um, if that's you, you're not alone. I'm certainly feeling <clears throat> that same way myself. Um, but I'm also kind of using that realisation as fuel to, uh, to start really pursuing change in the way that I'm living my life. Um, you know, I like the idea of being a bit rebellious. I like the idea of saying, well, if the world's going to speed up, I'm going to be the person here who sits down for a minute and watches you all. Um, and I kind of like the idea that there is like a countercultural element to something as simple and as difficult as, as slowing down and paying attention. Of course, the danger with that is... Um, we can want we can want to rush into slowing down you know <laughs> I, I when i first started simplifying my life so i started with decluttering i wanted to be like the best minimalist in the world and i wanted to only have like 10 things and i wanted to do it as quick as possible and it was really interesting to see how that status quo of um, you know achievement and goal and bigger and better and faster and and higher it had infiltrated my desire to even even to simplify my life. Um, and I think that in our desire to kind of create a new normal over these coming weeks and months, I'd just, I'd caution against trying to change everything at once. Um, you know, it's okay that it takes time. What we're doing, what this whole process of the retreat is and what the process beyond the retreat will be is like a gradual stripping away and, and unlearning almost of, of all of those stories that we were, we were talking about last week, the stories that, that we're told that keep us feeling not good enough. Um, and like, there's no shortage of those stories. So uh, I guess it's my hope that, the, that this, this week's sort of art of noticing 
becomes a uh, like an antidote almost to that one that you can pick up and play with for a minute at a time or you know five minutes a day or whatever feels doable for you uh, and in and in that same way do what James Clear says which is reduce the scope and stick to the schedule even as you find yourself um, getting back to work or the kids are being back to school and things getting um, you know time time filling up again um, there is always going to be an opportunity to just stop for a moment and pay attention so um, hopefully that kind of allays some of the fears that I know people are, are have brought to, to this week in the last couple of weeks of, of not being good enough. Um, you know, that's that's not something that you need to to continue to beat yourself up <laughs> uh, about because you're here and you're asking questions and you're paying attention. Um, and, and that awareness is the beginning of change. So um, now I have a few questions that came through on email. I've had a coffee and a half and I feel like I've run a marathon. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm all up here. <sighs> anyway, belly breathing. Um, so I had a, an email from Sarah who has a couple of really great questions, actually. Um, is Sarah on the course, Sarah T? Uh, no, okay. So the first question is actually about week four, um, but I wanted to talk about it because it was very much related to what we were speaking about now, um, which is week four. I didn't get around to writing a letter, but I thought a lot about it and had some breakthroughs. The easiest self-criticism to focus on is self-image. Um, that's certainly the case for me as well. Um, she said her first question is how can I tell the difference between my inner mean girl and constructive criticism? Um, and I think it's a really, really good question because I, that's probably one of the biggest um, criticisms, I guess, of, of this idea of like taming your inner critic is doesn't that also shut us down to the possibility of um, making improvements to ourselves that, are good for us that we want to make, um, you know, and that that finding the line between the inner mean girl who is sometimes very shifty and will make it sound like she's doing, so she's saying these things because you know she wants you to to be your best, but in fact what that actually does is make you feel really crappy. And then you have your inner guide, I guess, um, who who is more intuitive and who who is all about offering you solutions or suggestions of things that, that you really do want to change. Um, and for me, I think the difference is, is what those two voices is, is telling you. Um, for me, the, the inner mean girl is essentially telling, telling me that I'm broken. Um, and the inner guide is telling me that I'm worthy of, of feeling how I want to feel. And the words that can be used can sometimes be quite similar and that's quite confusing, I think. But, <clears throat> and I do think that, you know, in some instances at the same, the different side of the same coin. But when I am being, I guess, spoken to by my inner critic, I feel small. I feel less than, like I feel unworthy. I feel beaten down or broken or just crappy about myself. And when I'm hearing from my inner guide, there is 
some seed of of genuine truth there and like a desire to um to to see me feel the way I want to feel if that makes sense like both can be uncomfortable <laughs> and both can sometimes make you upset we don't always want to hear from even a very well-intentioned voice that is saying this is what you you deserve to feel you know sometimes we like to, sometimes sometimes I like to or I end up sort of setting myself in this sort of self-flagellation mode um and in that in that case I don't want to hear from my inner guide um but that's not to say that what that inner guide is saying is not valid um, because it comes from a place of support and love so for me it's it's kind of tapping into physically how I feel when when I've got that dialogue happening um you know and both dialogues will offer changes they will suggest shifts that we can make but how is that making me feel you know if Am I feeling small? Am I feeling like that churning, horrible kind of shame spiraling feeling that I get when it's an inner critic that's making me feel less than? Or is there some seed of truth, some recognition, you know, that like that zing that we spoke about in week one? Um, and that that's always a really good indication to me of how much of this I, I, I might want to listen to. Um, and then sometimes just picturing my inner critic as a puppy helps as well, as we spoke about last week. <laughs> just give it a pat on the head and say, okay, thank you for your input, puppy. Um, so, I mean, I hope that helps, Sarah. Sarah. Um, just looking at the chat. Does self-image always refer to your physical self or is it how you're perceived by others um, and yourself overall? It's a good question. For me, it's both. Um, for me, like the... The, like the low-hanging fruit is physical self-image, but the probably the more all-pervasive, really, really um, difficult one to, to dig out is um, the assumptions that I'm making about how others perceive me. Um, and I think it's different for everybody. I think everyone kind of carries their own um, their own sort of stories around about that. But yeah, for me, it, it's certainly both. And um, what I spoke about last week, I think it was last week, it might have been the week before, where essentially I found myself in a situation where I'd made a phone call to a new friend and didn't go great and then I like shame spiralled. And that that's sort of a really good example of um, how my self-image was wrapped up in what I thought she thought of me and then what I thought of me as a result of what I thought she thought of me. And um, Just writing that down and, and digging into that like dispassionately was really, really helpful um, in, in unpacking that, like I was listening to these stories rather than necessarily operating from a place of, um, like a, of my inner guide. So, yeah, I, I mean, perhaps, Sarah, that could be something that you could try. Um, instead of necessarily trying to label, you know, the, the voice or the the suggestions that are coming through um, from your inner voice, <clears throat> like just recognize the emotions that come behind that that inner voice. Um, you know, is there shame there, or is there curiosity, or is there um, guilt, or just sort of name them and, and put them on a piece of paper or journal about them, um, and and write it 
with a sense of separation, almost take a step back and see what these voices are offering you and see whether or not, um, you know, what they offer you is, is in any way feeling like a, a positive thing or something that you would like to pursue. Um, and, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that we want to do away with our inner critic completely either, um, but I think that she gets a much bigger amount of airtime than, um, than she deserves. Um, yeah, you know, from conversations that I have with people, we very rarely spend time worrying that we, we're hearing our, like, inner cheerleader too often. It's always the, the inner critic that, that gets the, fair share, the, the lion's share of, of our attention. Um, and Sarah did, did sort of follow up and she said, maybe it comes down with self-compassion um, and meeting yourself where you are. Um, and just as an example of where she is at, she said, I read an article about focusing on one good thing you did each day. For example, today I was beating myself up because I didn't catch up on the Tuesday yoga video, but then I realized I did 25 minutes of exercise and over 10,000 steps and had salad with lunch and dinner. Um, she said, it's, it, it helped me realize how the stories we tell ourselves aren't always accurate and can be harmful, which I think is a really, really positive thing to, um, to have come to realize. Um, and I just got a, a second question about this week. Uh, I was actually not so much a question, um, just the way, the two ways that she is noticing this week. And I wanted to share them with you because I love them. Um, she said, my, my two ways to get into noticing mode quickly are animals and looking up. So spending time with or watching animals um, is a great way for me to notice. For example, I listen to my cat purr while he sleeps on my lap or I watch the antics of my, my chooks after I feed them. And then looking up is something I don't do enough. So I know it's an easy way to notice something that I didn't see before. For example, a cloud, <clears throat> birds, uh, quirky graffiti and uh, in the city. So it always helps me to stop and take a moment and refocus. And um, I think they're both amazing ways of, of really tapping into what noticing can be. It can be something as simple as that. And it's really just a decision to, um, to spend time in that noticing mode. <coughs> um, time with animals is actually incredibly good for us. Um, it releases all of these hormones in our brain that, that make us feel safe and secure and connected, helps us form emotional bonds. It, really, it reduces stress um, in the body. So if you've got a pet, I don't know, that Maple I think was talking about yeah, spending time with her dog and like kind of almost getting inspired by the way her dog will stop and look at things and like sniff things and, you know, and my dogs are the same. Um, so maybe if we just kind of get a little bit more inspired by our pets as well um, and, and take that, you know, like dogs get up and they just take a sec to stretch their front legs and then they stretch their back legs and they turn around in a circle and, um, you know, sit back down or cats are the best at that sort of activity. So even taking an opportunity to be inspired by your, your pets or someone else's pets. I mean, don't steal them, but you can watch them and pat them and do things like that. Um, so I just, yeah, I thought that was, that was really lovely. Um, now Katie has sent me an email as well. Is Katie on the call today? Uh, no. Alrighty. Uh, Laura, I like that suggestion. Ask if a good friend would say it. You mean in terms of um, 
differentiating between critic and in a mean girl. Yeah. I think that that's a really, really helpful way of looking at it. Um, or would you say it to a friend as well? Would you speak like that to someone you care about? <laughs> um, so Katie found herself sort of struggling a little bit with the act of noticing, um, particularly when paired with doing an activity. Like uh, I know one of the suggestions that I made in the, the um, lesson video was to turn an everyday like mundane task maybe into a like a mindful moment. So one of the examples that I gave was hanging out the laundry, cycling through your senses, just seeing what you notice. Um, and the main reason that I've included that or that I that, that I talk about turning a mundane everyday everyday task into a mindful moment was um, because I feel like a lot of people feel like they don't have enough time to slow down. They don't have enough time to uh, meditate. They don't have enough time to to feel that sense of spaciousness or buffer in their life or they, they don't feel like they do. And turning um, something that we needed to do anyway into an opportunity to practice mindfulness seemed to help a lot of people practice, you know, and, and, and experience that, that sense of, of noticing. But in saying that, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone either. So um, if that's the experience that you're having and you, you find yourself maybe struggling a little bit with combination of mundane task and mindfulness or um, you find like Katie did that her brain was looking really hard to find anything um, to distract her from mindfulness while doing these mundane tasks. Um, yeah, take that as a as an opportunity to explore a different way for a little while and see what you um, what you discover there. But essentially, Katie's question um, <clears throat> is this: she said, "I've done the, the daily noticing yesterday and today. Today was when I was sitting with my morning coffee and I felt clear and joyful and nourished during the practice." Um, and calm and attentive for the rest of the day. But on Sunday, I had more difficulty um, when I was practicing whilst putting the washing on the line. I was trying to notice sound and smell and sense, but found myself suddenly more enthralled with matching the color of pegs to my socks or lining up the towels perfectly. It's like my mind was seeking any problems in overdrive to fight against me, just trying to be mindful. I did still have a pleasant time, but I'd like to, um, to try and use this tool while conducting little tasks. <clears throat> but right now, I feel like I can only do it while I'm sitting still. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Do you have any advice for this? You're totally doing it right, <laughs> first of all. There's no right or wrong. Um, it's What I think you'll find actually is that that experience on the Sunday when you were noticing your brain trying to come up with reasons to not be mindful is that you were noticing. That was it didn't look the way that you thought maybe it would. But that was noticing in and of itself. You were paying attention to what was happening in your head, what was, you know, what was causing that frustration or that sense of um, agitation. <clears throat> Sorry. And, um, you know, I think that that's progress. So one of the things that I never realised um, about mindfulness or meditation or any one of these practices is that as you learn to see more and to pay attention to more and to develop this awareness like it we don't just develop awareness for the nice things 
we don't just develop awareness for like the beautiful moments. We develop an awareness and a sensitivity and um, uh, like a, a deeper level of feeling for all things. And that can sometimes mean that things feel really uncomfortable. And I don't necessarily think that that's part of the, the mindfulness conversation enough because uh, <laughs> when I first learned to meditate, first thing, first like three sessions, I would sit and I would, you know, find myself feeling really chill and the guided meditations that I was listening to seemed to, to, to fit where I was and it made sense to me and it was language that I understood and I would walk away feeling really, really good. And about three days in, it was like my brain realised that I was trying to trick it. I was trying to, you know, take its power away. And the second I sat down to meditate, it was like a tidal wave of thoughts and all these things that I had no idea were even in my head um, started piling in. And it was like that for weeks. I thought I'd done something wrong or like that I was doing the wrong kind of meditation or, you know, there was something, um, something that I was failing at. And it was actually just awareness. It, I was just developing more awareness um, and it was really uncomfortable like it was not a pleasant experience but I found over time I learned to separate um, my thoughts from my actions or my reactions and I, I learned that meditation or mindfulness or noticing wasn't necessarily about uh, completely removing all other thoughts from my mind it was about recognizing them as this thing and kind of giving them a wave and letting them be while I was over here doing my noticing, while I was over here meditating or being mindful or tilting or being present, you know, it's become one of the most important lessons that I've learned throughout the last 10 years is just because a thought is there doesn't mean I need to follow it. It doesn't mean I need to respond to it. It doesn't mean that I need to um, react to it in any way other than to say, I'm just over here meditating or noticing or tilting and um, I'll get to you later. And, and it's, it's genuinely really helpful because it, particularly with the stuff we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, our, um, you know, those inner stories and the inner critic that we all struggle with, it's also helping me to recognise that voice um, and give it its own space but not necessarily engage with it um, at all times like I used to. So... Um, Katie, I don't think you should feel like there's any failing happening or that you're doing it wrong. Um, I think you're just going through the process uh, and we'll continue to go through that process. You know, it's this stripping of layers <clears throat> that happens repeatedly. And as we strip down to this, this new layer, we discover new stories that we need to, um, you know, to, we need to listen to and, and figure out where they came from and, and figure out how to, to unlearn those those stories or to to write new ones, uh, and I think it you know it is an ongoing process. So uh, yeah, if you meet yourself with with compassion um, and also just curio curiosity, um, I think is a, another really helpful lens to look through all of this with. Just you know instead of sort of immediately jumping to this isn't how I expected it to be or you know I'm doing it wrong and I'm failing. So I wonder why that's happening. I wonder why, you know, I, I want to match my pegs to my socks. I wonder why, you know, having my towels lined up is, is suddenly really important to me. Um, 
and that that's also a really kind of gentle way of, of digging into to those stories too. <clears throat> Man, I feel like I've got like a furball in my throat. Um, <laughs> yeah, so is that something that anyone else out of curiosity has found themselves um, not struggling with, but experiencing, you know, like suddenly are you, you're practicing noticing or meditation or mindfulness or, or whatever you want to talk uh, call it and your brain gets really loud is that something that anyone on the calls experience yeah we've got some nods yeah um it's how i mean how are you how do you process that do you have any particular way of putting those thoughts in a box or of moving forward? Okay. Come, I'll come back to it. Um, I'm going to move on to an email I got from Ellie, who I don't think can make the calls, but she wrote me this most beautiful email and I would like to share it with you because um, it, it made me cry. Um, she said, during the third week, I lost my rhythm and I never wrote a letter to myself in week four. And then a miracle happened. The art of noticing helped me back on track. Slowly, I've returned to the right path. When I prepare my breakfast, I see the strawberries in my hand. Have these tiny fruits always looked so beautiful? Slowly, I cut them in slices and enjoy feeling the small, cold, moist fruit. The smell of this pretty red fruit is so intense and sweet like never before. In the tree in front of my home sits a blackbird and sings a morning song. Has his singing always been so beautiful? Such a lovely little morning ritual and how beautiful life is if you look closely. And I thought it was just gorgeous. You know, it's just, it spoke of compassion and grace and allowing yourself to find your way back over time. Um, but it's also just gorgeous. I mean, that, that, that moment of noticing this thing that you've probably done or experienced hundreds of times without actually paying attention is <clears throat> it's like ripe for, huh, pun intended, um, it's ripe for, for, for tiny joys, you know. Um, and I just wanted to share that with everyone because I thought it was really wonderful. Now, I know I've got a few comments through here. Beck, so Beck, you take inspiration from your kids who are amazing at noticing things that adults don't. Absolutely. I think that spending time with kids, they have this, just this natural capacity for wonder that is incredible, you know. Um, and again, going back to that idea of the status quo being really quite forceful in trying to come back into our lives, we as adults really have to sort of train ourselves, I guess, to, uh, to allow that slowness. You know, I spent years, I think, just telling my kids to hurry up. Come on, hurry up, hurry up, get in the car, hurry up, get your shoes on, hurry up, hurry up. Um, and, like, of course, there's logistic reasons why that is going to happen sometimes. But that was just my default, you know. And I really had to ask myself, do they need to hurry up or do I just want them to hurry up because that's the pace that I know how to operate in? Um, and it was, it's really interesting. I, there was, I think there was a book. 
I can't remember the name of it. Um, I think Rachel Macy Stafford wrote it a few years ago, where essentially she stopped using the phrase hurry up with her kids um, and unlocked this whole other relationship with them because she just allowed them to operate at the pace that they needed to. And that obviously required a whole lot of shifts in the way that they did things, but it was really powerful. Um, I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the book, but she was on the podcast actually in the first year. I'll see if I can find it and I'll link, I'll link to it um, uh, under the replay of this call over in the retreat um, page. But um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something really powerful to take from, from or take inspiration from in, in the kids as well. Um, so Stephanie and Brittany Ann have both said, you notice the thought, you accept it, and then you let it go rather than feeling like I have to act on it. Um, or you just, you know, acknowledge it and move on. And I love that. I think that's brilliant. I wish that I had been able to do that for the last... 20 years of my life, um, I feel like a dog chasing its tail. I have felt like a dog chasing its tail for, for the longest time. And if you can do that, I mean, even if you can dip into that, that skill, that ability to, um, to acknowledge a thought and let it go, that's going to have like the, the ripple effects of that um, are enormous and uh, can affect parts of your life that you wouldn't necessarily expect either. <clears throat> Um, I'm just reach, reading Rachel's um, message. Hi, everyone. I'm enjoying these conversations, getting a lot out of them. I'm trying to work at the same time. It is unsurprisingly not working. I think I remember this discussion in, earlier, in an earlier call about really understanding doing one thing at a time. Lesson learned. I'm going to come back to the call when I give it time and energy it deserves. Um, so, Rachel, I know that you're not. I don't think you're on the call anymore. Um, see, I think even that is a perfect example of what noticing can look like, you know, noticing that, oh, I've, I've put too many things on my plate and now I'm overwhelmed and now I'm not actually giving any of them the time and the attention that I want to. Um, that's noticing, you know, that's awareness. And I, I truly think that the first step in, um, in developing change and growth in our lives in whatever way we're trying to, to develop it is, um, is simply developing awareness. It's becoming aware. It's becoming like, cognizant, I guess, of, of what's happening um, in, our, in our lives and, and maybe why we've done those things. But, but ju it just starts with awareness and, and, and you can make a decision from that point, that, that, that platform of awareness, I guess, and move on. <clears throat> um, Uh, so Angie, oh, it might have been only love today. Yeah, thank you. Um, so Angie, I like I again. I think that's that shows a, a, an incredible amount of awareness. Actually, that you're like, I want to do some noticing, but there's too many things to notice. <laughs> so how have you been? Um, how have you been? I guess moving through that or processing it. Have you have you found yourself able to choose? something or you just you're getting uh badly would probably be the um the not very compassionate response yeah so i i've i kind of felt you were saying before that you know thoughts feel a bit louder when you start to notice so i've noticed that um 
you know, colours are brighter and, you know, things seem more vibrant. And there's so many things that you could choose from that I like, I don't know, okay, maybe I'll focus on the tree on the sort of, you know, silhouetted against the sunset or, no, hang on, maybe I'll focus on, oh, look, I saw a rabbit just there. I'll look at that rabbit or maybe, you know, if I'm driving down the road or something or, um, or oh, look at that flower in the garden. Oh, no, hang on, look, there's a better flower. And I just, so I'm kind of like, oh, hang on, there's so many things that I could um, notice. It just felt too loud, too mm. much. I kind of had this um, decision fatigue almost that, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to notice. Um, so were you worried about choosing the wrong thing, do you think? Um, maybe. Maybe. I think I was actually overwhelmed by how many things I could notice. Like it would just felt like, um, you know, when you go to the shops and you want to buy milk and there's 25 different types of milk and you just want milk, you know, it's that kind of, oh, I don't know what to really look at you know it was there just seemed too many things um I have to admit though I didn't I, I didn't do the making the mundane mindful very very well either though um again I was like if I was you know peeling the carrots I'd sort of go oh well maybe I maybe I won't look at the carrots I'll look at the potatoes instead or like again it was just this choice yeah, I just kind of had this incapacity to choose, to yeah. settle on, to settle on one thing and just be be there. It was weird. It surprised me. I wasn't, yeah, it surprised me. Yeah, it's almost like you sort of opened yourself up to the idea of noticing and it's like all the way open. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was just like, whoo, too much, too much. Just give me two flowers to look at, not, you know, the whole garden. I guess I wonder in, in that case, I wonder if it would be helpful for you to kind of on a Sunday night, maybe make a list of seven things, you know, and say, today I will notice something green. Today I'll notice something furry. Today I will notice, you know, and just um, give yourself a little bit, because ultimately it doesn't necessarily matter what you focus on. Or what it doesn't you matter in the slightest. No, I know. But I just don't know why I got so hung up on it. But I like that idea of removing the choice and just saying, okay, look at something what did you say? Something green or something green, you know, something uh, in your bedroom, you know. Yeah. Narrow it down. Yeah, really narrow it down. Like find a tree, anything like what, you know, you know, the rhythm of your day. So kind of make it easy for yourself. Um, yeah. That's a good idea. I'll try that. Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but it's really interesting what happens to our, our, minds when we open up to this idea of noticing yeah like, yeah uh, and taking time to notice fully you know like we can obviously see yes there's a like there's a tree outside this window and I can see our new fence out that window and you know like you can see things but seeing things isn't the same as as just spending a moment in like the real noticing of it um yeah yeah I think uh, it, it, it's yeah I'd like to I mean let me know how you go with that because I you know I think that that overwhelm is maybe even a bit of a like a hangover of this idea that we need to do everything and do it well and we need to like be the best noticer of tiny details you know and that achievement based kind of desire to get the gold star and to like to to be the best noticer you can be you know I think that there's 
definitely a tendency to do that, if, if, particularly if you're someone who likes to kick goals or, to, you know, to, to do things well and to do things um, in a way that feels complete. I can understand why the idea of, of just choosing something would be really overwhelming. Yeah. Maybe. Or yeah. maybe maybe the, the thing it felt a little bit like was almost an awakening. Okay. It was almost a, um, wow, you know, there's all these things there that I just didn't see before. And now if I have to choose one, I can't choose. So there is a choice fatigue. But I think I think the initial feeling for me was um, was just an awakening. It's like, you know, like you hear of stories of people who, you know, um, have never been able to hear something before or see, you know, their sight is restored or whatever. And, and suddenly, you know, the whole world opens up. It felt a little bit like that kind of a, yeah, like someone had turned the light on. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably also a really valid part of the experience, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, it probably won't last like that recognition that there is so much to see and so many details that we've walked past a million times before and not paid any attention to like that can be maybe a, a catalyst for, for shift. I, yeah. It would be, I think it would be helpful to, to direct your, your attempts to, to spend time noticing um, a little more, but also I don't think that it's a bad thing to have had that. I like the way you described it, like as an awakening, you know, as that, that moment of realization, um, because that can fuel change for a, a long time. That sense of, you know, remember when I was overwhelmed by how many things there are to notice? Remember when I was completely floored by all the tiny little beauties that I hadn't paid attention to? Like, that's that's important, you know, and it could be that that is actually a, a moment that, that drives you forward. Uh, but it's probably also quite uncomfortable to start with. <laughs> Yeah, um, I know um, Beck said she's had the same experience um, and tried to narrow it down a bit <clears throat> by picking a focus. Yeah, so, I mean, other examples, Angie, like how, like Beck has said, how the light reflects or how the wind moves something, you know, and um, just find something that, that speaks to you and, and, and try that. Um, Kate said uh, that the garden is a great place to notice the world. I agree. That's where I do a lot of mine um, at the moment. So scents that are accentuated, differing lights, cloud formations, um, beating rain on the foliage. It's very beautifully put. Um, my biggest challenge is getting out of the garden. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I said to Ben uh, the other day, I'm just going out to the garden for five minutes. I came back in like two and a half hours later. <laughs> I started out by just, you know, plucking little um, cabbage moth eggs off my, my broccoli leaves and ended up doing half a day's work so um, it was yeah it was lovely um, so Maple said I felt the awakening part too I'm a bit guilty of accusing myself for not having ha having had enough adventures or connections then today when I was doing the noticing exercise in my living room I was overwhelmed with all the stories each item brought me when I really looked at it it was incredibly humbling it made me feel confident in what brought us to even have a living room to put all our things in that's all like what a cool place to land with that maple that's amazing um i mean there's so many layers there as well of, of what you just shared like not only you were aware of and noticing the stories you were telling yourself about you know not having enough um you know adventures or connections so you were aware of that and then you were you allowed yourself to i guess um push back against those stories and and look what you found that's amazing 
yeah. Um, <coughs> um, yeah, I like that a lot. Did you? How did you feel? Um, I guess. Do you feel like you you've sort of stumbled on a, a way to spend time in the noticing that works for you or? I think so. I had, it was only, I set my timer for seven minutes and it was only the third time that I did that exercise and I really love it. Um, and I just said, I thought it would take a lot less time. I, I thought that I rushed through it because I'd never timed myself before, um, just noticing. And then I realized I was like, it, took so much time to kind of go through every item and that I could see. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's the right way to do it, but I, I like doing it like that. I just, what I see, I go through and I notice and your living room, like I think everyone's living room has, like that's where we put all of our main things, our things to do and our mementos. Um, so it was a lot of fun kind of going through and I didn't get through everything. I thought it was, I was remembering things and then I, made kind of mental notes of things, but not like, I feel healthy about it. It wasn't like a list making thing. Yeah. I just said, Oh, I, I should pick that book up again sometime. I loved going through that book or, um, actually there was a wedding that I missed last summer because I was working out of province and I realized going like, there's a picture of my partner, um, and the groom. And I realized looking at the picture that I didn't really ask about the wedding. I was like, I don't really, I didn't live that experience through my partner. I can't believe I, I should ask more about that because that was a very significant event to them. So yeah, just little things like that. I love that. I think that's, um, there's no, like, there's definitely no right or wrong way to do that. So that's obviously something that has lit you up, like the way that you're speaking about it, the way, like the experiences that you've had, the things that you've recognized, um, that, you know, notice that and, I think that that's sort of, we were talking about it in a guides before and that intuitive kind of ping of recognition, listening to you talk about that experience. To me, that sounds like you found something that really is an incredibly beautiful and powerful kind of exercise in, um, in noticing and then noticing what you notice as a result of that as well. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that a lot. I was going to message you that I really loved that exercise. I haven't tried the breathing exercises too much, but that one really works for me. Oh, good. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, now, I have a, um, an email here from Lenka, but I know you're on the call. Did you want to come in and talk about how you're feeling? All right. Oops. Hey. Hello. How are you? Good. Good. It's, uh, it's been interesting few weeks, <laughs> especially, yeah, here in Sydney, it's like, it's free, freeing up all the restrictions. So for us as a cafe, it's making things, it's coming back, which is great, but it's also bringing lots of pressures and stresses that we had before it kind of slowed down. And it's like, we are trying to not slip back into the hamster wheel of doing things and not to, you know, keep just like trying to chase our tail. <laughs> but it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. So it's like when the, when we did the week of tilting, I decided that I need to tilt back into work because it was just the time when we, it was kind of time when we wanted to introduce back our menu and our food and, 
people were like more out to be like, yeah, we should like train the new staff and do all these things. And it was a good thing to do definitely for the business, but it just felt like, wow, this is crazy. And this is exactly what we didn't want to get back into. But it kind of like felt like we were like, yeah, let's, that's okay. That's for like a week or two, it's fine. But now it's three weeks in and it just feels like nonstop. And we are trying to really, like we really need to pace ourselves to don't slip back into the craziness or like running around like a crazy person. <laughs> and just like being really really mindful of the choices the good thing we it came out of this was like we li- we tried to limit our encounters like our social encounters yeah because we are quite we are quite we are really social but in the cafe we see our customers like every day we talk to a lot of people and so we decided to do just two evenings a week where we can see our friends and the rest we are trying not to yeah, just trying to be at home and not to plan anything. And that's been actually really great. I mean, that's a huge shift to make. You're, like, as you said, you're in a person-facing kind of business. So you're constantly socialising with people through work. And then as social people, if there would be no off, you know, and maybe pre-lockdown, that might have been how you felt things were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think making that shift, that's huge. And you probably haven't settled into that new kind of rhythm enough yet to have experienced the benefits of that fully because I think um, like being in in New South Wales where some of the restrictions are easing but things keep changing I feel like every day there is a new announcement of of things shifting and gradually opening back up Um, and like I feel like the ground that we're all walking on is still shifting a lot underneath our feet so it's really hard to feel steady Um, so I definitely Think that it's amazing that, that you and your husband have found that that thing that shift um and it's a very real and very like big shift to make to to giving yourselves that time at home um or that time together it's um yeah give yourself the opportunity to settle into it i think before before worrying too much about slipping back because i think that's a huge change to have made from from pre-lockdown life to now. Um, yes, we, we just feel like there's a lot of pressure from people. It's funny because like when we ask anyone, how are they feeling? And they always like, everyone's like kind of like set, settle into their new new kind of normal. And they don't, people don't really want to go back to what it was. And they don't really want, they don't really crave that craziness and everything. But they keep asking us, so when are you fully opening? When is everything coming back to normal in here so we can get it? But yeah, like trying to like explain everyone, like it's not going to get go back to normal because there's the social distancing. It's not worth for us to open the business fully just yet because it would just be so much pressure. But everyone's kind of like putting like, everyone's kind of understand that they don't want to go back to normal, but they're like, but you should. <laughs> And that's really, I find that really interesting at the moment. Um, And I think we're going to find this for a a while. Like everyone would themselves like to keep this sense of slowness, but they want all of the services that they liked to have before and all of the coffee shops and all of the restaurants, they want them to go back to normal so that they have the choice, forgetting that behind each of the restaurants and coffee shops and retail stores is people who also want to have that sense of spaciousness. So I think that... um, you know, developing like a language around the way you talk about it to customers and just kind of sticking to that message 
over time, I think that will that will start to settle in. But having conversations like this with people and with your friends and family, um, that is really important. I think that's where the change is potentially going to, to happen. Um, yeah, I think, but it's hard. I mean, having to repeat yourself over and over again to customers who are like, I want to go back to how it was. That's exhausting when you're already tired and already feeling pressured. Um, yeah. So maybe have like, have your line, have your, and it sounds like you do and just stick to it um, and yeah. get you saying it a lot. Yeah. We like throughout this like, last three months, we did like four different letters for like, you know, to display in the window to tell people so we don't have to repeat ourselves, but it keeps changing. So it's like, okay, it's time for another one. <laughs> maybe so. hopefully this will be the last letter that you have to write for a while and then you can just keep referring people back to it. Um, yeah, maybe. I think though it's also important to to not worry too much about what um, we think that this new phase should look like um, as much as it is to think about what we want it to feel like as well and then think because I mean and what I mean by that is um, I think that if we have in our mind a picture of what we hope this new normal looks like and what we think that that is like a successful version of our new normal then we're going to constantly compare what the reality is to this idealized version of it. Um, and that's hard. that will make almost everything feel not quite good enough or, you know, you'll be comparing yourself against um, this idealized version that doesn't actually exist. So instead start thinking about what you and your partner maybe want things to feel like, you know, do you want to feel like you have the time and the space to have an, like have a, a cup of tea in the morning together before you head to work or, to sit down and have like a, a meal together a couple of nights a week where there's no screens, you light a candle, you have a conversation and you just take time. Um, like that sort of focusing on how that would feel rather than what that looks like, I think is a really important shift to make. Um, and the other thing I think that <laughs> it almost kind of kills me to say it, but what I found is that a lot of people find the word slow, like slow living, to be really um, rigid <laughs> and it can actually bring with it a whole heap of assumptions on what that looks like and it can actually act against pardon me <clears throat> your best interests yeah it's actually i think i i love the world slow, uh, word slow and i love like how it feels to me and like listening to your podcast for the last three years and everything i just like really found found it really intriguing and love it <laughs> the thing is like my whole life like as gro growing up I was always like being mocked at being slow <laughs> so it's this like so now you're slow and you're enjoying it <laughs> but I think that's kind of like my default and I was battling against it my whole life right so yeah it's yeah I think that's interesting too because we uh, we internalize this idea that some some on some level it's a bad thing you know and we then feel like we need to like I, I, I like to embody slow but I don't want to be slow you know and um, yeah. a bit of tension there as well I think so if you find that even temporarily like shifting your word that you use to describe the way that you're doing things to intentional or you know um, taking time or, or something that feels maybe a little bit more flexible while just while you're in this really heavily tilting sort of phase um, of, of, of setting up your new normal in your business. Uh, it's 
gonna it's a bit hard with the business owning thing because like everyone we know owning a business is like running around like a crazy person and we, we are just trying to like go against this reality while keeping the business growing and running and it's it like balancing these two things and it's sometimes sometimes like all the time i feel like oh we should be like we could be doing more we should be doing more but at the same time we are trying to slow it down and not go that that way because i don't see many people who are running around like <laughs> crazy business owners who are too happy about it you know so it's like trying to figure the balance between the life and the business and ideally have some kind of a yeah something that works together yeah i mean and there's i don't think there's like a, a one-size-fits-all answer either i think it's um what you're doing at the moment is digging and trying to find all right um so laura said and this might be applicable Blanca, um that her favorite advice was about um, including white space in your day as well and that uh, i've got a friend kelly <clears throat> exeter who is the, the world champion of developing like pockets of white space um, and she's a business owner and a mom a single parent um, and she just carves out time in the morning for example um, with 30 minutes and she's got things that need to happen in that 30 minutes. Like, you know, she checks her email or makes a coffee and feeds the dog. Um, but those things would take maybe 10 minutes all up. And she gives herself the gift of having like time in which to expand those tasks. And it makes her feel like she's operating in a, at a slower pace, even though once her kids are up, it's just go, 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 go until the kids are in bed. Um, and she swears by it. She said that, that having that, that time and it's still technically productive time it means it sh she's happy to get up earlier she's happy because she knows that that time is available for her to kind of expand into and take what she needs um so i mean that's the way she used slow when life is really busy and hectic as a business owner um yeah, yeah. i really like that that that's good like take, taking a little bit extra time with a simple task Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, when you've got customers and things like that, that's not probably the best time to do that because people are, <laughs> no. yeah, they're happy to slow down, of course, unless they're waiting for something from yeah. someone um, and then they want it yesterday. Uh, so, you know, that's always an interesting irony as well. And you know what, that's, it's, yeah, I just, I, I wish, I wish I had a crystal ball almost to see what the next 12 months is going to look like in terms of that conversation around slowness, because you're right, there's, I don't, and I don't know if anyone else on the call feels like this. Um, there's this real tension between almost everyone I speak to talking about, you know, being concerned of losing that, that sense of, of slowness as kids go back to school and offices open and stuff. Um, but then also those habits are getting things, you know, of, of, you know, instant gratification. They're really hard to, to unlearn. Um, yeah, so I don't know if anyone else on the call is sort of finding themselves in that that place of tension, or, or how you're trying to reframe it. Um, and I don't know how we 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 reframe it on a bigger scale, other than to have conversations like this, you know, and I guess start to um, look at like valuing things taking more time and allowing our 
desire for things to take more time to slowly filter through into the businesses we support and, you know, the, the things that we do. Um, yeah, Angie said it's a retraining for everyone. And, you know, I wish, I wish there was something that we could do to help people see that they may be happier if they change. But the only way we can do that, the only way that's invitational is to just lead by example. And I find that with slow living. I find that with anything. You can't force people to change, but you can live in a way that exemplifies these changes. Um, and people will be attracted to that and they will eventually ask you questions about that. And in my experience, that's where change comes because people choose to ask you questions or, you know, um, choose to join you in, in, in operating in a different kind of way. Um, and it could just be that they're waiting to find someone who's like-minded as well. Yeah. But I mean, I, I feel, I feel for you, like <laughs> being in a retail space with all of these changing restrictions um, and trying to, to develop a, like an ethos of slow in your business, it's not easy. So um, I guess, yeah. It's not, but I think at the same time, like it brings you the customers that are attracted to it, you know? So we are really living by like really working on our values and whoever comes every day is like knows those values and they are coming because we have those values. So it's really different experience to any other coffee shop where you just like go in order online, pick it up and go away and don't talk. Like we really have the conversations and we have the chance to talk to people and that's amazing and it's really rewarding and I really enjoy that. But at the same time, after that, you need a little bit of space. Too. I mean, what you're offering is, is a service to people, like not only obviously in terms of running a cafe, but you're offering a service to people in having carved out a place in the world, which is rare, where you still, you still um, value connection and slowness and intentional, you know, communication. Like that is a service that you're offering and that is, that is work. Like that is not an easy thing to do. So um, I think carving out time for yourself to recuperate, to, um, you know, to just slow down, spend time with your partner, spend time doing something that you enjoy is really important um, because even though your business is a slow business, it's still work. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think what you're also creating is, is like ground zero of change in your community. Truly. I think that's really, really important. It, it feels good because I feel like lots of people who we wouldn't normally not meet are coming to us and we just get to, be part of this community that is really like-minded, but we had no idea that people like this exist. We just thought that we are bringing something that's not there, but it's actually like bringing more and more people together. Yeah. It feels great. That's great. And I think it's just, yeah, in this period, just staying strong in those boundaries and that those values that you've developed and you'll find that you'll continue to attract the people who get it. You know, there'll be people in, in the community who don't get it. They, they, they're not Definitely. on any sort of slow... And they're not your people, you know, you, you can't try and be everything to everyone, um, but do what you do and do it well, and then give yourself the opportunity to rest at the end of doing it well. Um, yeah, I think that you're building something really important. Thanks, Bert. All right. Um, yeah, if anyone's got questions um, or any kind of input on that as well, please let me know um, in the chat. <clears throat> so Maple said, Lenker, I bet that people are putting pressure on you um, that they mean to put on the virus itself. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. 
it's unsettling for people to not know when things will be back to normal. And I bet a lot of people are looking to business to have some sort of answer. I know my mum thinks that the virus is over because she can book flights now. Yeah, I, that's absolutely true. And I think it's a way of um, trying to exert some kind of control or like even imagine some semblance of control. Um, yeah, if they go, if they walk past the coffee shop and they're like, oh, they're open, things are back to normal. Hallelujah. You know, and that like that's, um, so, I mean, that's not necessarily going to make it easier for you in the way that you feel that pressure, but perhaps it will help you to view it differently. You know, that this is not necessarily about um, you and changes that you need to make to the way that you're running the business, but um, that it's almost, you're just a, like <laughs> a sounding board for people to, to try and find some semblance of, um, of control or normalcy, even if it's a new kind of normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good it, like we are really happy to be kind of like you know bringing the positive inputs to it, but at the same time there's certain limit like people some people are like, "Oh, I heard on t v that I can sit down now inside, and we're like, yeah, we're not quite ready for that yet, and like trying to explain to every single person it's a bit hard, like it just gets frustrating, yeah, and it's the opposite of you know what you want to be doing, like yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, um, and I think that time is really the, the missing ingredient there at the moment, which is hard for, for you guys when you're the face of it. Um, but I think over time, over the coming weeks, I think that will shift and people will start to... I, mean, you, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember. Of course you remember. Everyone remembers. Like when everyone was locked down, how strange everything felt for the first week or two. And there was a lot of big emotions and tears and stress and anger and, you know. And within a couple of weeks... Obviously not in a perfect sense, but in a, at least in some kind of general sense, we got used to it. You know, it became a new way of operating really quickly. Uh, and I think that, that you're in the position now where you're able to develop what that new mode of operating is um, for your business and your community. And you're just in that first few weeks where... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... Um, you know, I think in your email, you also said, I think we're going to have to keep coming back to the lessons from weeks three to five and spend several weeks in each of them. Uh, I think that sounds like a really reasonable thing to, to do, particularly where you're at now. I mean, there's, this, is, this is not something that needs, to, like the, the exercises that are happening in the retreat, they're not something that, has, that have an expiration date. Like come back to it, feel your way around each of the lessons for a month at a time, you know, um, when you've got a bit more headspace because at the moment you are tilting into some really challenging stuff. Um, and that's, I think that's the way you're going to have long-term balance. If you look back at this year is by saying, okay, yeah, well, May and June were, were kind of crazy because we tilted all the way into work, but July things felt a little more spacious and we were able to tilt into time together. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, that sounds good. It, 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 I was telling my husband yesterday, it felt like it was March and then we woke up and it's June. <laughs> it's like, it's incredible. <laughs> I'm being really weird this year. Yeah. <clears throat> so Beck said, um, I think there's more certainty in crisis. Some of the tension I think is sitting in the uncomfortability of uncertainty and not knowing what the next few months or even years will bring. Absolutely. Where is Beck? Um, how are you feeling, Beck? Is that is that kind of your experience? Sorry, I'm just trying to unmute you. There we go. 
Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, it is actually. I think that, um, you know, like many people at the beginning, there was just so much crisis, but I think with that came a bit of a comfortability of knowing that it was crisis. And I think, um, you know, from my personal perspective, I think there was uh, clearer expectations from my employer and I think now there's just um, a lot of uncertainty as restrictions are lifted as to what that might bring. But I think as well, there's just a level of exhaustion from um, so many people that I don't think is often acknowledged as well. So with the exhaustion and the uncertainty, um, there's just a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of uncomfortability, I think, with that. Yeah, and like that's exhausting. You know, if you think about the, the up and down of... of certainty and fear and uncertainty and like and I think it was very interesting to me um, to see how quickly employers and organizations sort of came together and gave that clarity of what what we expect and I from what I've heard in the vast majority of instances for people who are working from home it was reasonable you know because all of a sudden people maybe people who are parents who also are working from home had like two or three full-time jobs that they were trying to, to juggle and there was a, an innate kind of humanity in the way that most people dealt with that mm-hmm. that I found really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's now that we're in this point where we're like, what's going to happen? Am I going to go back to the office? Um, you know, what is there any space for me to talk to my boss about working from home a couple of days a week? And like, mm-hmm. we don't have any answers. Um, yeah. And I think that employers who are also, you know, managers and whatever, like everyone's a human being and they all have felt that shift so it's sort of now where people um are sort of stuck between going back to what was and perhaps forging a path towards some kind of new normal that is more uncertain absolutely but also kind of more exciting almost um i think Hmm. yeah yeah i think sorry you go. No, <laughs> okay, go for it. Um, as I was going to say, I think it's just that um, thing with just, you know, really not knowing as to, and, you know, that, that phrase of, oh, it's business as usual, back to business as usual. It's like, but we can't, we can't go back. Like you can't unknow um, what we now do know all the experience of the last couple of months. So I think there is just that, um, you know, your word of tension, I think is really um, appropriate. There is just that level of tension as to what, and, and making sense of it. What, what does this mean in this new, you know, again, it's the catchphrase of new normal, <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, I know. And I, I kind of, um, yeah, I sort of push back on that, that idea of back to business or back mm. to, back to, to the old ways of doing things because, uh, you can't, you can't unknow, you can't unsee. And I think that, like we were talking about with Lenka, like we're in this period at the moment where uh, it's all up in the air. And I think what's going to shake out over the coming six months or 12 months in terms of working from home setups, in terms of, you know, people being able to to structure their lives differently because now all the old excuses that, oh, we can't do that, that's just not how we operate, they don't stand anymore. Like, those, those excuses don't stand. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I think certain organisations and certain groups will want them to stand and they'll be pushing really hard for the things to go back to how they were. But we can't unsee the, sh- the changes, the, the good and the bad changes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, but I think your, your point of, of 
sort of certainty and crisis was a really insightful one um, because now as I mean, not the, the crisis is over, but it's shifting, particularly in Australia, it's shifting into a new um, phase. There's a lot more uncertainty that's coming with it, even though easing restrictions, I think, was trying to actually alleviate that. And I think it's maybe made people feel more uncertain, not less. But yeah, it's a very, very strange time. Um, so Jess said, most of the restaurants in our town opened up a couple of weeks ago, but a couple of the very best ones, in my opinion, didn't open back up and share with the community why they made the decision to wait. It made me want to support um, and order carry out from them even more. And I noticed that a lot of the community had more respect for them for not diving right back in like everyone else. Yeah, and I think, Jess, that's a really good point to, to anchor as well. You know, just because you can doesn't mean that it's the right thing for you, for your community, for your organisation, for what you're trying to do to just jump fully straight back in. Um, and I think taking that time, writing those letters every month as things change, change will prove to be a really um, positive thing because, again, you're attracting those people to, to your ethos and values. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, now, does anyone else have any more questions? I think I've gotten through all my email questions, so... I just keep laughing every time I see Jean's um, photo. <laughs> I was in the middle of just like, it, honestly, it makes me laugh. I was in the middle of answering a question when it popped up and I'm like, am I? <laughs> I thought I'd like lost my mind for a minute. Oh. <laughs> like your daughter's edition. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh. Um, yeah. Wow, might be the shortest call yet. Um, I was going to add from, I think, a few weeks ago, someone asked about Instagram. I think, Jean, you brought it up um, about, like, what to do about Instagram. And um, I thought I'd share an update. Brittany and I both deleted Instagram this week. <laughs> wow. After our big conversation about pillars and we're feeling good. We were feeling good, but we deleted it this week. <laughs> How are you feeling? Great. Yeah. I feel like today, like we deleted it two days ago, Brittany, I don't know, two days ago, one day ago, and like, yes, or maybe it was two days ago, and I messaged Brittany after we did the assignment about noticing, and we were talking about what we've noticed, and we've noticed that things like, Inst like for other people, it may be different, like Instagram is just a good example, I think, because we use it the most, and it had harmful effects before in that we were like wasting time and we both felt like it wasn't fulfilling us but then when we had when we went back we thought it would be a great way to connect with others and kind of represent us or like you know what I mean us individually not us as friends but <laughs> us as people going back with more mindful intentions um but it could be different for other people with different networks um but yeah, then all of a sudden, after the noticing exercises, we, I said to Brittany, I was like, I've noticed that it doesn't fulfill me. I spend a lot of time on it. And it's not, it's, it's not a, going towards any goal I have. Not that everything that you do has to go towards a goal, but it, it doesn't make me feel good. Mm -hmm. And Brittany said she feels the same way. And so we both decided to delete it and feeling great. <laughs> I mean, and like perfect example of what noticing can bring it. I mean, it's like a, 
it's a practice, you know, to pay attention to things or feelings or experiences or whatever, but it can bring awareness to other areas, maybe even unexpectedly. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's not to say, like, we both agreed, I think, I don't know, Brittany, I shouldn't speak for you all the time. I, <laughs> uh, we both agreed that we might go back. Like, it's not like we're like done, done forever, but it's just a nice break. And I want to fill you in all of like, yeah, just because we did say what we said about the pillars and having an intention before and now it's, it's not good for us anymore. So maybe we'll go back with better intentions in the future, but for right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's been my experience. So on an, I, every few months I will take a break or I will come away from social media. Um, and that's how I ended up stopping using Facebook. I took a break and then realized, like I noticed that I felt heaps better about everything for not being on it. Um, and then same thing with Twitter years and years ago and Instagram's the only one I've got. And I will go through periods where I delete it for a month at a time. And I'm happy to go back to it. Like with the work that I do and selling books and stuff, like my publisher kind of wants me to have a presence on social media uh, and that's my compromise. So taking it away and realizing if maybe my patents had gotten a little bit too heavy handed with using it, or um, I was relying on it for positive feelings or validation um, taking that break is the perfect opportunity to recognize that and to notice that. And then when I do go back, it's, it's, it's through a completely different lens that I look at it and use it. Um, and it, it feels manageable, like it feels sustainable. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm wondering if taking breaks is the only way to manage that, or manage it on that note. Like I think that because we felt the same way, or I felt the same way, uh, when I went back, it was like, it was refreshing and I thought to myself like oh my gosh like this is gonna be so great I get to connect with new people like this is the best platform I'm so I feel so like ready to be on this on my own time and it just like crept up because that's what it's designed for it's designed to consume you um so it's I think maybe actually taking long breaks is like the best human model I think so you know and I think um you can apply that to lots of things, you know, because it gives you an opportunity to reset um, and to recalibrate what feels reasonable as well. Um, like I found that uh, over Christmas, over the Christmas break, I deleted my emails off my phone, for example, and I realised how often I used to just check it mindlessly with no intention of responding to an email or anything. It was just like, like a, a security blanket kind of thing. Um, and removing it for two months, email for two months didn't affect my productivity at all. Um, and so I think recognizing that by taking that bigger break is a, has been for me at least a really good, um, a really good model for, for changing behavior. Same thing with like drinking alcohol, for example, I'll often take a month or two away from drinking alcohol completely. Um, I always feel like I feel good when I do that. But even if I come back and I have a glass of wine after a couple of months, my approach to it is different. Like I used to have quite a, like a numbing sort of relationship with drinking alcohol. And if you take two months or three months away from something, you have to develop new ways of um, new ways of, of dealing with discomfort or, you know, stress or overwhelm. Um, and you can't, again, like we've been saying over and over again, you can't unlearn that stuff. You can't unsee it. You can't unknow it. You can try and pretend that you forget it, but you don't, you know, it, it's there and, and that it adds up to who you are and your experiences in life. So 
yeah, I think that taking those breaks is a, a really, for me, it's, a, it's an experiment. And I like, I like experimenting with things because it feels less like you can fail. You know, it's just like, hey, let's see what happens. Let's see how I feel. Um, all right. I'm just looking at the chats. So Susan, yeah, so um, Susan, you took a break from social media from Facebook two years ago. Are you still off, off it? Or are you, yeah. Um, and I think it's like recalibrating what feels reasonable as well in our sense of the amount of time that we spend on things that changes over time, I think. Um, Brittany said, I love the noise connection you made. So I was thinking of random people that I have no real connection with when I was doing other things. Um, and then I would realize, why is this person taking up space in my head? Yeah, I, that's a strange thing to, to think about, isn't it? You know, we're giving our time in our day to thinking about someone we went to high school with or like an influencer that we don't know or really kind of jive with. I don't actually really necessarily need to know what you're doing or what you had for lunch or whatever that may be. Yeah, yeah it's a very strange thing that social media has given us an in into other people's lives and then all of a sudden it takes up real estate. And um, particularly when, you know, we're all kind of seeking ways to slow down, I think reducing some of that, that noise, that completely unnecessary noise is really, really helpful. All right. Um, yeah, any more questions or anything else that people are updating, want to update on? Um, so Laura, can we have an option to connect with retreat participants without Facebook? Um, I've been thinking about it and that's honestly, if I'm, I'm being honest, that's why I've never, I've never included like a Facebook group for retreats before, because I know that there's a, like a percentage of people, <laughs> excuse me, who, um, really don't want to use Facebook or maybe don't use it. Uh, and I can't, I mean, if people are happy to like exchange email addresses or something like that at the end of the retreat, I'm really happy to facilitate that. Um, you know, you could drop me an email, just let me know and I can create a list, like a, I guess a mailing list or something like that. If people would like to keep in touch. I know there are people who live in similar areas who might even want to get together and have a cup of tea together at some point. Um, yeah. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Like obviously you can opt in or opt out. Um, in sharing email addresses and maybe kind of sort of starting up a like a, I don't know, slow living pen pal. Um, so Laura's just said I could organize a Zoom, a Zoom for a few weeks after. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great idea. I think that's a wonderful idea. Um, and then email as a non-social media option. Okay. Well, maybe if that's... Um, just drop me, anyone who's listening to this obviously live or in the replay, just drop me an email um, to hello at slowyourhome.com and I'll collate a list over the next week or so um, of people who would like to be put on that list and then um, you guys could organise like a, a Zoom or something um, to catch up and, and check in. I think that's a really, really nice idea. Okay, lots of yeses, awesome. Um, and I know, I mean, I know the Facebook page, like we've got a bit of conversation happening in there. Um, but I know there's also a lot of people who, who don't really use it. So that, I think that was a really, that's a really nice idea. Awesome. We'll leave that with me and I'll have that, um, 
I'll probably set that up um, before the, the final email goes out and make sure that that's all, all set up for everyone. But if there's no more questions, um, feel free to jump on and have a chat or say goodbye um, to unmute yourself. But I think that might be it for the week. I'm, I've got to tell you, I'm um, oh, how many hours away? I, my book is due, my manuscript is due on Sunday afternoon and I'm like this close. So, yeah, I feel like I've been um, writing and talking myself in circles the last few weeks. <laughs> Publishing date, uh, we're not entirely sure, but uh, they're thinking March next year. Yeah, so that's, that's um, exciting uh, and daunting. It's a strange time. It's such a strange time to write a book about uh, slowing down and changing the world. <laughs> Everyone stopped and the world changed. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I'm very, I'm very excited. My kids are so excited. They're like planning a, um, like a celebration for Sunday afternoon. They're buying dips and cheeses and yeah. <laughs> so I better finish because, you know, I'll be, devast I'll be devastated if I don't. Yeah, um, but I'm excited to, uh, excited to, to get it out in the world eventually. Very different writing process to last time. Last time was just like telling my story. This time is um, a bit more research and a bit, yeah, it's quite different. But anyway, all right. Um, I have to ask, Jean, did I meet you in San Francisco at my book tour event? I thought so. <laughs> uh, yes, you met in Corte Madera yeah. uh, on the other side of the bridge. Yes, I came with my daughter. You did. And I remember she was all jealous of your daughter because she's like her brother looks so much cooler than my brother <laughs> she's like he's really cute my brother's more annoying so that's her main <laughs> memory from the event but it was really nice to meet you in person it was really exciting for me it was awesome i love that event my, so my mom and dad nieces were at that event they yes yeah to surprise us uh -huh. uh, yeah, I, I was so nervous before that event. I nearly threw up. <laughs> well, it didn't look like it. You were very calm and very poised. <laughs> it was really lovely. Oh, thank you. No, as soon as I saw you in week one, I'm like, I'm quite certain that I've met Jean before. Yes. Um, yeah, that's uh -huh. really, really nice. Um, and congrats on actually uh, hosting this through through the last push of the, the book too. That's uh, quite a challenge. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was... I had to make a decision, obviously, a couple of months ago, whether or not I'd bring the retreat forward, even though I knew. <laughs> and it was just such, um, like, the timing felt right. It's been a little yeah. bit more, more um, hectic than I had planned, obviously, but no one planned for this year to look like it does. So, um, And the book deadline was pushed out by a month, too. It was meant to be the end of April. But um, considering I had to rewrite most of it, they gave me an extra month, which was generous. <laughs> Did the pandemic help or hurt? Uh, I think ultimately, it, um, it, well, logistically speaking, it made things tough, obviously, to have the kids at home and doing homeschool and, mm. um, you know, all of that kind of stuff while I had planned to be writing. Um, but I think in terms of what the book is about, it's given um, like a point of reference to some of the stuff that I'm talking about that maybe um, because of the 
pandemic, people will have more of a like an understanding of, if that makes sense, you know. More relatable, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So even people who may not necessarily have been on board with the idea of slow living as you see it in books and Instagram and all that kind of stuff um, because it felt unrealistic or um, inaccessible to them, I feel like there's at least some, um, yeah, there's some common ground there that, that everyone can say, oh, yeah, okay, all right, I... I I see the value of taking time in in various parts of my life um, and what that can bring. Yeah, and that's the whole sort of the whole premise of the book is to strip slow living of all of its. Because I like, I obviously, I'm an advocate for slow living, um, but I feel like as it's become more popular and mainstream, it's also become very commodified, and it's about more stuff and the way things look and the kind of life you live and where you live and what you wear and all that, that kind of uh, external measures of, of slow um, and as a result has become really kind of inaccessible to a lot of people, either because of time, mm. money or access. Um, and I wanted to bring it back to ways that everyone could make changes in their lives, um, but also that the ripple effects of those changes don't just benefit us as individuals, they benefit like our families and our friends and our neighbourhoods and communities um yeah and in that way i feel like the ripple effects are really um powerful so yeah uh it'll be interesting to see if it lands i mean who knows maybe by the time it's out in, in march next year everyone will be on board the whole slow living thing maybe not <laughs> yeah um but that's that's me so has anyone else got anything that they would like to share or I might bid you all a lovely farewell? I have something, Brooke. As yeah, a fellow gardener, I've been very distracted in the background because my uh, son's girlfriend is a florist. Hang on, I'm not very good at this. Let me switch you around. So this morning while we've been talking, she has got all the stuff from the flower market. Oh, wow. On the uh, veranda, quite regularly happens. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Oh, lovely. Um, oh, <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Poppies are in season. I would be distracted as well. <laughs> Sorry, should behave myself. <laughs> But I knew we'd like the poppies. I absolutely love them. I try, I'm trying to grow um, poppies at the moment. But... I hope it's not in a windy spot. It is. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't think, I honestly think the snails got most of them anyway. So. Have you got a very big garden? Yeah, we've got um, the front, at the moment it's not being utilised, but the front of our, um, our yard is like the best positioned for growing veggies and, and fruit. And that's our, I've got big plans actually to completely rip up all of the grass in this whole front area and plant it all out with veggies and, and fruit trees. And then we've got a garden around the side, which is chestnut trees and lots of flowers and yeah. And do you, do you, I've heard you mention the diggers. Do you use the diggers much? I do, yeah. That's where I get most of our seeds and bulbs and stuff from. Yeah, yeah. that's where most of my garden's grown from too. They're, I mean, they're really good. Um, I did get an email from someone recently, though, who so I live in the Southern Highlands. Um, 
So there is a more local seed and bulb, particularly bulb producer. So I'm going to give them a go as well. Um, yeah, but I love it. I could spend quite honestly eight hours a day in my garden and not be enough. Yeah, right. Like, I'm not very good at it, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> but that's a great thing about a hobby, isn't yep. it? You don't have to be that good at it. Exactly. Just as long as you get out and have a go. Yep. Well, my youngest son is a horticulturalist who works across the road at the Manly Golf Course and his girlfriend's a um, florist who works three nights a week at the flower market. So, oh. And before all of this happened, her big thing was events. And so she'd come home from things where they spend $80,000 on, um, on the occasion. You know, weddings, you know, it was just extraordinary. But most of the time it had the opera house and the bridge in the background. So it wasn't just your usual family gathering. <laughs> but it's been an extraordinary thing because she started bringing things home as, um, because they're going to throw them out at the end of it. So my garden's grown from this refuge of events that, and then if we can't use them, we just stick a free sign on them out in front of the house and we're on a pretty busy road. So they never last the night out. And just that thing of being able to recycle them, it's been such a funny thing to watch these two kids that are 20 years old be such good greenies on and actually, while I'm on that, I should tell you a story because it's a lovely story in the pandemic. One day she came home and she made all these bouquets and they were, um, she, so she, and she had flowers left over. So she made up um, 12 bouquets and stuck them out the front of the house and put $5 bunch of flowers on them. And they were the loveliest bouquets. And so, you know, Dads with kids came along and bought them for mum on the way home and, you know, joggers and that, which it was really funny because we thought it wouldn't work because people thought cash was so dirty, but people always had their $5 in their pocket for their coffee. But the one that we really loved was this young kid came by, you know, not much older than Grace, and she said, can I buy four of them? And she said, you can buy as many as you like. And she goes, oh, I'd like to take one and give three to my neighbours. And, um, you know, she went off and I said to Grace later, look at all that happiness that you've created by not throwing those flowers in the recycle bin. Absolutely. You know, it was just be really oh, beautiful to watch awesome. someone, yeah. But, like these so. stories of kindness have been so um, <clears throat> throughout the whole pandemic, I think, like, and you, I, I found I had to train myself to look for the good news and the kindness, but the more you notice it, the more apparent the kindness that, that, that exists around us um, becomes, you know, I, I, we're talking about Instagram, there's a, um, a profile on Instagram that shares good news stories, and they're beautiful, they're just tiny little stories, um, and I found that even just dipping into sort of little good news kindness sort of base stories like that has been really really unifying um mm. i love it. i just love seeing that you, there was someone who was around the corner from us who had a bucket of flowers that they cut from their garden and they had a sign out um saying please take one if you need a lift you know if you need something nice to happen in your day and all the teddy bears in windows and the yeah. rainbows in windows and you know it just shows that we are really looking out for each other um, and we have that capacity and I think that 
um, the tendency used to be to think that things were getting worse and colder and crueler and meaner. And there's certainly, there's certainly reason to believe that. But when given the opportunity, it's just amazing to me to see how kind people are towards each other and, and how much we're drawn to that as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, thank yeah. you for sharing that story, Kate. That was beautiful. That's all right. Thank you. Um, Maple, to answer your question, uh, yeah, I will probably, the plan is to probably do another one in September. And then, so then from then on, it might be like twice a year. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but that's the plan. Yeah. Because um, this has been wonderful. This is the first time I've done the retreat with Zoom, so I can see everyone. And I, I really, really enjoy seeing your faces every week. It's been really nice. All right. Well, on that note, oh, do I, oh, that's a good question, Jean. Um, reunion retreats. I have had a couple of questions um, about like kind of next stage sort of retreats. And I don't know what, <clears throat> the reason I haven't um, is because I'm not, like, I feel like once you've got this foundation of slow living, um, what it looks like for people beyond that is so vastly different, you know, and I was curious about what I could offer in in terms of sort of yeah bringing bringing it back around to to slow living in a way that would appeal or work for for people so if you've got ideas about what you'd like that to be or what you feel like there'd be um a need for or a call towards let me know because um i have been considering it i just didn't really know kind of where to start with it to be honest Yeah, okay. So just a, like a one-off. Um, yeah, I think that's a really nice idea, actually. Let me have a think about it. But yes, the answer is no, I, the answer is no I haven't. But yes, I would like to. So that's, yeah, a really good idea. And even, so do you think that something like just jumping on, having a call, um, maybe refocusing a little bit on what, this retreat was for us personally and then just seeing where we're at okay okay let me have a think because I like that idea and I feel like that's part of the process you know having to to constantly bring ourselves back to you know our north star to our values to the reason that we were here in the first place yeah yeah okay I like that idea a lot. Leave it with me. Um, it probably won't be in the next couple of months. I think I'm going to take a big old step back <laughs> things for a minute, but um, I really do like that idea. Plus, this is such a wonderful group. I've really absolutely loved getting to know you all a bit. I wish we could sit around and like do it in person. That would be amazing. All right, my lovely friends, I hope you all have a wonderful evening, day, and I'll see you next week when I don't have a manuscript hanging over my head anymore. All right, I'll see you guys soon. Bye.